From our soundstage and auditory office to your hearts and ears across the globe, the following has been crafted with care for your listening ears. Good morning, good day, or good evening, and welcome to 54 Lights. For those just joining or those joining as a matter of habit, remember that this season we're diving headfirst in the deep end dedicating each and every episode to seeing one corner of the African continent. A deliberate unpacking of the African experience told mostly through the eyes of those in the diaspora. And so we're going to march the African map, if you will, and all 54 countries in it, one story at a time. Basically, you're about to hear a series of meaningful moments lived out loud. Ones that feature Africans, African descendants, or allies of the community. My name is Kandwani Mwase, your guide along the way, Ethiopian-born, Canadian-raised, and proudly Malawian. As you'll soon hear, I'm a curious Pan-Africanist that finds inspiration, energy, and purpose in creative places. Today, we touch down, metaphorically speaking, in Zimbabwe. Zim, the country of my mother's birth, will give us the gift of two guests over the next few weeks. It's a country that's had its share of highs and lows, and has been a source of immeasurable pride, thanks in no small part to its people. One of them, a gem we're about to meet in a few minutes, is Farai Madzima. Farai is a man of and for the people. He's a molder, a teacher, and undeniably a leader. His work is profound, as you'll soon hear. And his impact, well, it runs deep. Without further a ramble, let's jump into the first of two episodes featuring my Zimbabwean brethren. Today, Farai. Where's home for you or where where are your roots? Um, Harare, Zimbabwe. So that's, 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 that's where I spent the majority of my, my young life. I left there when I was about 19, but yeah, that's, that's home. And, and so you, you say that with such, uh, um, um, definitive, uh, definitiveness, like with, with such certainty, you, I, I was talking to, to one of my guests a little while mm-hmm. ago. How long have you been in Canada then? So I've been in Canada for five years now. So since 2017. Okay. Um, okay. But we've traveled around. So before Canada, I was actually in South Africa for seven years. Um, mm-hmm. And so that has got an element of homish. And then before that, I was in the UK for 10 years. Um, and then Zimbabwe, where I was born. And, you know, I left when I was about 18. So I've lived in many places and lived in places long enough to kind of call them home. But <laughs> if you, you know, your question was roots and the roots always in that Zimbabwe. <laughs> So if I were to ask you in terms of like, what, what do you, forgetting it now, now I put the qualifier on roots, which is right. right. So what, what do you consider your home since it looks like your passport's been stamped a few times from them? <laughs> it looks like your passport's been stamped a few Word. times. Word. What, what would you answer what, to that? Uh, home is where we're at. Home is where we're at now. Um, in, in here in Canada is home for us. We've been here. So for, for the last five years, my, with my family, I got two kids. Um, and the reason I say that is that 
we we've learned that by moving away from home and living in different places long enough for you to acculturate and to take on a worldview, you see the places behind you differently and you see the places you go to in different ways. Um, and so having grown up in Zimbabwe and lived in the UK, I could look at the UK differently from how people who live there do. Having lived in the UK long enough and then moved to South Africa, um, we could look at things in South Africa differently and go, oh, you know what? These Some of these things like in the UK are impossible, but they're way more doable here in South Africa, but only because we weren't from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, my, my lovely wife and I, we were like, you know what? Um, we're going to try it at least one more time and do it in Canada and see what does Canada look like when you have lived in lots of other places and what do those places, you know, look like when you're looking at them from Canada. So it's kind of convoluted, but it means that wherever we go, we are learning to pick up our lives, plant them in new places and, you know, let them grow and flourish. And we want our children to learn how to do that and to be able to do the same. I, I love that answer. And, and it, it helps frame me because, I, you know, I've, 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 I've only kind of lived in Canada or in Ethiopia, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, although home for me is, 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 is Malawi. Roots home is in Malawi. Right. But, you know, I, your, your line of, of response has kind of led me to two questions that I, I hope you don't mind me asking is that, I've always been interested in finding, uh, in, 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 in speaking to people who are in the diaspora outside mm-hmm. of, of their roots, if you will, or right. where they were born mm-hmm. and saying, it's funny for me because when I go back to Malawi, I don't necessarily think that Malawians who live there, mm-hmm. see, they see me differently. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They see me almost in this, this, this pseudo, as this pseudo foreigner. You're from right. home, you know, you're, you're from here, but you're not really from here. <laughs> and so, mm. uh, you know, I, I guess I'm trying to do the, the opposite of what you said. You, you said how you see different places and spaces and how you mm. make roots and you cultivate roots in those, those lands. Mm. Do you think that the way they see you impacts that in an adverse or in an advantageous, uh, advantageous uh, way? Again, complex answers. Uh, and this, you know, the, the idea of being diasporan and, you know, roots in many places in my mind makes that not a straightforward answer, an interesting one, I guess. Um, so I mentioned that I went to school, um, in a place where I, I was like one of five black kids in like a class of like 20, right. Um, even though we are a majority black country and very early on, I talked about anglicizing my name. I learned to, this anglicizing also came with like an accenting and speaking through, uh, speaking very nasally. So Mm. the English I spoke sounded this nasal thing. And so in Zimbabwe, we we were called Nose Brigade. So my Nose Brigade are those kids who, or those people who have got this nasal accent with their English, right? So very early on already, because even though I was in my home country, I was taking on this different culture when I was at school, it, it did separate me very mm-hmm. early on from other folks. Um, and there will be some people who, I don't know, um, I, I, I've, you know, I wonder about my parents' generation, but I think there may be some parents who might be like, cool, that's, our, that's progress in a way because our children can fit into these other worlds because what it 
the reason I was making those changes was so that I could fit in better to the, you know, the Western world that, or the Western microcosm that I was studying in, you know? And so fitting in better there meant that, you know, I could succeed in that world. Um, and, but it also meant that I was kind of separating myself. So I had two ways of speaking English, the school way and the home way. Yes. The reason I'm raising that is that to your point, um, now that I've left, I've also now taken on a bit more Britishness. I've taken on this Canadianness, and, you know, a bit of South African. And so when I go home, uh, even like, yo man, like Canada, like sunlight, you know, it's hard. It can be hard to find in the winter. Right. (laughs) I'm like proper light skinned now, as they would say. I'm proper light skinned, you know. And so when I go home, people immediately they will just take one look and they'll be like, "That guy does not hang out in the sun." Yeah. Right? First of first of all, and then secondly, they'll hear me speak, and then there'll be you know all the different things in my English, and I will be now trying to readjust to go, okay, what English do I need to be speaking here to kind of fit in a bit more? So, um, and in that there will be some folks who will be like, yeah, man, you left and you left all the things. Um, and uh, we either, you know, I guess more people, there's way more diaspora happening. So people are just like, yo, man, that's how we're living now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in work, it can mean opportunity, right? So when I lived in South Africa, because I've got this accented English that is more acceptable to a certain group of folks, I could more easily fit into certain conversations and to certain borders because I had that vibe. And so what that meant was there were some folks who would look at it and go, why is he getting in? And we're not. Right. Um, and I, I could, I, I did have conversations with people about that and what that meant uh, and all those things. So absolutely what I, what I have learned acculturated and become because of the travels and all those things when I go home, does create this otherness that needs to be navigated by both sides and can yes. be a source of peril or opportunity for both sides. Yeah, I I love the complexity and the nuanced way that you answered that question because it is a it is a com it was a complex mm. question, but mm. you definitely uh, navigated that with such thoughtfulness. So I appreciate that perspective because. I think you're right is is that that balance between the peril and opportunity is is quite real right and mm-hmm. and peril doesn't necessarily have to be in such a, a you know in a Danger, dramatic yeah. life or death way but mm-hmm. it but it is a very real uh thread that has to be needle uh, a needle that has to be thread rather mm-hmm. for people um um of the of the diaspora of which as you say there are many mm-hmm. um listen farai uh mm-hmm. I hope I- that correctly you got and not it, man. You got bastardizing it. it but um i wanted to, to to maybe flip the script a little bit now and turn mm. the page you did mention your work and the opportunities mm. that you've made for yourself um i've had a little bit of a chance to to to, to do a bit of research on you mm. um but i it was brought to me that you are a, just a phenomenal uh public speaker you were talking um at a conference most recently here in ottawa mm. uh a, a, about um you know how people can 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 welcome uh welcome different and diverse i think um um uh workforce or employees into their mm-hmm. into their workforces mm-hmm. i'm doing a poor job of the of of obviously of your presentation but it's it seems to me that you're a bit of a coach you're a bit of a public speaker you're a bit of a a, a professional um 
you, you know, shepherd, if you will, or steward to help mm-hmm. people in, the, in management deal with employees or, or, mm-hmm. or thrive with employees. Mm-hmm. Is that like, is that fair? Like, wh- wh- what would you describe as your work or as your, like, I guess, as your passion? Uh, I'm glad you asked it that way and didn't say what's my job title. Because uh, because my job title has got a lot. It's, I'm a music experience designer. If you look on like LinkedIn or whatever, yeah, yeah. But, but the thing that is giving me energy right now, the thing that I've learned is, um, uh, you know, could it be a superpower? I don't know. But is this ability to, um, help manage folks who are managing people, uh, particularly people who are new managers, mm. to have a perspective about running teams and managing the people they report in a humane way, um, in a much more thoughtful way than just, Hey, you've got some resources on your team that need to give you output. Um, and you know, that's, that's what you're doing. So I have been, uh, speaking about working with people from different cultures. You and I are working from in places where, you know, people like us don't come from. What does that mean? What does it look like if you're managing a team? And this is happening way more now that you could be managing people across the globe remotely who are in multiple different cultures. And those different cultures teach us different things about how to argue. Um, even if it's arguing like points in a, in a healthy way, they teach us things about giving each other feedback. Um, you know, the way you were raised, you will be, have been taught to, you know, to deal with leadership in a certain way, for example. Um, where I'm from, we have a very hierarchical structure. I don't know what it's like in Malawi, but mm-hmm. um, and having deep hierarchical structures means there's deference to seniority and, and age, which that's what I grew up learning. But if I come and work in Canada, um, they want flatter hierarchies. It doesn't yeah. mean the hierarchies don't exist, but they mean very different things. Yes. And the expectation is that I can go to my boss and talk to that person more directly or con- have conflict with that person more directly because the idea is that when we have good conflict, we can make an idea better. But in my culture, you know, having conflict with people who are senior is not a thing that comes easily or naturally, right? So mm-hmm. I am talking about this idea of uh, cultural competence, cross-cultural competence for leaders and managers. How do you get to be aware of what's going on and the impact of, you know, um, having multiple people in your teams. I am doing this at events. So I was at Can UX, a wonderful event here in Ottawa run by some great people. Um, and I was speaking about also the idea that when you are in countries like Canada, you will find people like you and me. I don't know what it's like where you work, but you will be the only one of your kind in the room. Right? You might be the only black man in the room. <laughs> there are people who will be the only something. And sometimes it's to do with race. Um, sometimes it's to do with, you know, gender. It might be to do with your ability. Um, yeah. It might be to do with things that are not even visible that people can't even tell. They don't even know that you're a cancer survivor or whatever it is. And that, you know, or there's something going on. So what is it like to be one of a kind in the room? What do managers need to know about that? So I'm doing this um, at talks. I've been lucky enough to speak around the world about this. And then I'm also ma- coaching managers one-on-one. So if your leadership team, you know, you, you've got a team of managers and you're like, I want people to do, level up on this, then I'm, you know, I'm lucky enough to have the opportunity to kind of hang out with folks and, and, and to talk about this and to give them some more skills so that ultimately the thing I want is people who are managing real people um, 
can look after those people. If you manage a team, you have been given a responsibility to look after the best hours of people's lives, right? They come into you for eight of the best hours of their days a lot of the times if they're working in offices like you and me. And I have a responsibility as a manager to take care of that time and make sure that it results in something great for the person who's working, but at the same time results in something good for the company. And that's the mindset shift that I'm trying to speak about and get people to kind of engage in, um, to not look at people as resources, but to take the responsibility of looking after, you know, the people who report to them in the best possible way. Wow. It sounds like such fascinating work. And I'm, I'm taking, if you can see me, I'm taking a bunch of notes here because I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to discern which, which is the next question. And I also want to be go. respectful of your time. So I know we only have a couple minutes left. Mm. It sounds like such fascinating work. And to your point, it's not about looking at your LinkedIn thread and seeing titles. It, it, this mm. sounds like such immersive and, and important work. Mm. The one question I want to ask about your sort of a little bit your history, and then I'll try and mm. maybe only stick to the next two so we can save on mm. time, is this idea of like, do you think that, that your history, your footprints all over the globe, right? Whether it be in South Africa, uh, in the UK, Canada, and obviously Harare, do you think that that's, it, it's a little bit of a leading question, but I, I want to ask it nonetheless, is mm. do you think that it, that it, it, it informs what you do. It informs the angles within which you do your work, or do you think it fuels it? Like, do you think it's it's? Um, do, do you know what I mean? Like, is is it mm -hmm. is that has that made you better? I suppose at bringing those different um, uh, cultures to be mm -hmm. uh, appreciated from from the from 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 teaching leaders how to deal with different people. For shizzle, um, in 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 so many different ways. Um, having been raised, you know, as a child in one culture um, and seen how leadership and things work in one culture, having worked in the UK, studied and worked in the UK uh, and learned what that's like. And then South Africa and, and Canada, all of those experiences have given me now that I can look back when I was going through that, I didn't really know. But now from where I am, I can look back at all those things and start to understand what is it like when you work with really different people? Because I think there's some people who, because of the pandemic and working global workforces, are only maybe experiencing that now and sometimes only through the glass remotely. Whereas I've been fortunate enough to, to live that a little bit. And so I can speak with, you know, um, more through more lived experience of what it is like to be in different cultures, of different cultures, and with people from different cultures. So absolutely, it has... Um, it continues to inform the work that I do and to allow me to have empathy for, you know, for, for all those different folks. And I think, Amazing. I didn't think yeah. about how much it might fuel, but I think you're right. Um, because my perspective is not about, I just want the people I'm working with here, but in all the places where I've been, I've noticed, particularly in Africa, like Africa's biggest challenge, I think is about leadership, great leadership that is thoughtful as opposed to leadership that is about hierarchy and patriarchy and leadership that is about, it's my time to eat. And I think, you know, when we can, I haven't made that connection in the work that I'm doing, but I would love to, I think it's probably one of the next chapters in what I'm doing, which is to figure out how I can, with credibility, you know, connect with leaders, young leaders particularly, and kind of have this conversation because it's an important one. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I can see why uh, Jay Westerlin, who's 
um, uh, I'm fortunate enough to work with at the National Arts Center, who's mm -hmm. uh, um, one of the the uh, the leaders at Can uh, Canex, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, or Canucks, I don't know if that's the pronunciation. Yeah, he pointed me in your direction, and I can I can truly see why. Because I, I love the way you think. I love the way you're dissecting these questions and, and responding to to them. Um, I, I, I want to ask you a question that as, as well. In that ilk is that it seems to me, this may seem like, again, one of those obvious questions, but mm -hmm. your work... If, if if I may be so bold as to say it's in service of something, right? So if I I would just say, is it in service of uh, what I think you've put on your website as emerging leaders, right? Is it in service of emerging leaders? Or is it in service of the employees? Like ultimately, I know you 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 work your work mm -hmm. goes through those leaders for sure. Mm -hmm. But do you like from your perspective, who ultimately are, are you doing this for? the commonwealth um so i think those through those leaders the i don't want to say the lead that sounds so possessive and all the things but mm. the people who they have responsibility to look after um can be, get better care right and can have more fulfilling hours in their days that's 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 what really matters um so my i my thinking is that better leaders can have better impact on more people and those lives because you know, a good leader who can make sure that you are fulfilled at work. Uh, you know, it makes a difference when you log off work and you've had a good day. How are you going to behave outside of that and go home? I know I've had days where if I've had a bad day of work, you know, it, it might take a minute for me to sign out of that. But my kids don't have time to wait. They want their father right now. So it means that, you know, if we can make sure that people who are spending time at work can log off feeling good and be better in the rest of their lives like that's fantastic so it is in service of all of the all of the above um and ultimately my hope is that if the leaders can do better work and in looking after the people who report to them all of those folks can contribute well to companies and the companies can benefit so it really is for the commonwealth as opposed to one mindset of having great leadership which is when you're a great manager, you can extract the most benefit out of the, the, the human resource. <laughs> right? You can whatever. And <laughs> there, there you go, right? Put in all the buzzwords, synergize, whatever, you know. Like, you know, that, that, is, that is a view of management, right? Because ultimately yeah, they'll go, hey, Kondwani, you run this team. We've given you $200,000 worth of people to manage. We expect that 200000 to generate half a million every year. Right. That's they, 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 you know, that's resource that's usage. That's, that's, that's usage of capital. resource. Yeah, there right. You go. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but my view is, you know, there are humans involved and when the humans are looked after, those numbers will just look after themselves. Wow. Um, listen, I've got to let you, let you go in a minute, but I got mm -hmm. one, one, one more question. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, and, and I gotta, I gotta tighten up my questions, but, um, the, the concept that leaders are, 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 um, are made not born is one that I would assume that you ascribe by because mm -hmm. you're in the work of cultivating leadership qualities. I, mm -hmm. So maybe a, uh, do you ascribe by that? You know, For notionally. Sure. Okay. Day. Okay. Perfect. So if you ascribe by that, it, it seems obvious to me that through your eloquence, your precision, the work that you're doing and the success that you have had in this field of work, that you yourself, 
are an amazing and remarkable leader. What's what has what has cultivated you? What was you know what what has led to your uh, 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 blossoming in this space and and uh, given you the ability to do that? I do not typically enjoy saying great question or hearing it, um, but I think this is probably one of the most incisive and introspective for me questions I've been asked in a very long time. I do not know. I have not spent time thinking about that. But as you raise that, it actually, like, I've got feels right now because what I'm thinking about is my parents, my grandparents, I've been lucky enough to witness those folks care for others. In meaningful ways. They did not put me through a course or make me read a book. But watching them be with other people and look after people I think has taught me many of the things that I'm lucky enough to be able to, to apply my work and to combine with things that I learn when I'm looking online, when I'm looking at other people who do write books, when I am learning from courses. I think it's a combination of all those things. Parai Madzima, thank you so much for um, for your time, sir, for your service to all of the different ecosystems that you touch. Um, you have me a little bit emotional as well, just because I'm thinking about my family and the people who have informed me. And I think just like you, um, it, it, it is the giants, uh, men and women and, 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 uh, and, and those uh, around us that have, that make us who we are. And, uh, mm. Um, you're making me think of my family and, uh, but I, I must say you are a, a remarkable person. And I, I thank you not only for taking the time, uh, to speak with me and to my, to my audience, uh, by proxy or by extension, but for, for sharing some really, um, profound words and, uh, and obviously in that last question, some profound sentiments. So I thank you, sir, for that. I, I appreciate you and I appreciate the time that you've taken with me. You know, I just I lo I love to stay in contact with the people that I that I meet through the podcast and otherwise. And I'm just mm -hmm. I I hope that that uh, you know you will you will accept the phone call when it comes. Fascism, and I appreciate you reaching out. Uh, this has been fantastic, revealing to me as well. Um, and you're, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're in town, so we should hang for sure. <laughs> fantastic. Thank you, man. No Get doubt. back to Take that care. practice. Um, no doubt. Take it easy, man. All the best, Peace. man. Take it easy. Yeah. Peace. Cheers. So there you have it. The conversation continues. Part of our show was recorded and produced at the soundstage and auditory office of 54 Lights. And while the stage is small, our lights together shine brightly. This season, more than most, has been produced in partnership with some incredible people, ones I'll avoid rattling off anonymously, 
but will find the time to thank personally after each and every play. A special shout out to my guest. Thank you for your candor and your openness. And of course, my enormous gratitude goes to you, the listener, for lending us your ears. Remember, find us on Instagram under crowd54. Follow us by subscribing. And of course, forward this to a friend or two, heck or three. Find, follow, and forward. My name again is Kundawani. Here's hoping you find yourself in every play. It has been fierce. Until we speak again. Thank you for listening. <laughs>